Hi, this is Rich Hilsinger, your host for Tuesdays on the Wing. I think we would all agree that music and rhythm can find their way into the secret places of the soul. No matter whether you are young or old, healthy or sick, happy or sad, music can improve the quality of your life in numerous ways. It reduces stress and anxiety, lifts your mood, boosts your health, helps you sleep better, takes away your pain, even helps you get going through life. I invite you to join myself and good friends and fellow hosts, Elaine, Joel, Melisinda, and Mark for On the Wing, each day, Monday through Friday, from 11 a.m. to 2 p.m. for three hours of great music, right here at WERU-FM Community Radio, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. A voice of many voices, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill, and on the web at WERU.org, grassroots community radio. Support for WERU comes from our listeners and from the Maine Community Foundation, working with donors and other partners to improve the quality of life for all Maine people, on the web at maincf.org. It's 10 o'clock, and you are tuned to WERU-FM, 89.9 Blue Hill, 99.9 Bangor, and streaming online at WERU.org. Coastal Conversations with your host, Natalie Springle, is up next. Good morning, and welcome to Coastal Conversations here on WERU. We explore issues facing Maine's coastal communities through dialogue with people who live, work, and play on our coast. From fisheries to tourism, from energy to environment, from economy to ecology, we go, we go beyond the social media sound bites, probing deeply into complex issues and solutions. Coastal Conversations is produced with help from the University of Maine Sea Grant Program, whose mission is to support Maine's coastal communities through research, outreach, and education. In partnership with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration and the University of Maine, Maine Sea Grant brings marine science to Maine people. We're about to engage in the heart and soul of community radio, in which those of us in the studio and you who are listening create a dialogue that we hope will be of benefit to our coast and our communities. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, and I hope you'll stay with us for the next hour of Coastal Conversations. This morning, our show is about the next generation of leaders in Maine's fishing industry. But before we jump in, I wanted to mention that this show is the third of a three-part series on youth and young adults doing good work on the coast of Maine. So in July, we talked with kids attending summer camps focused on Maine's marine environment. In August, we talked with college and graduate students doing marine and fisheries-related research in the Gulf of Maine. And today, we're talking with folks who represent or support the next generation of leaders in the Maine fishing industry. Being a successful fisherman or woman has always required innovation, tenacity, and grit. But today's fishermen also need to be creative business entrepreneurs and savvy policy analysts while still being the top-notch ecological observers they've been for generations. So there's a lot of pressure on young folks who want to make their living on the water. To help us understand the challenges and opportunities for young people getting into fishing today, we've lined up some great guests today. In our studio, we have Christina Fifield, who's from a Deer Isle fishing family, and she works with Penobscot East Resource Center as the coordinator of the Eastern Maine Skippers Program. Hi, Christina. Hi, how's it going? Great. Thanks for coming. Great to have you. Thanks for having me. Um, In addition to talking with Christina, we'll also hear clips from some of the young skippers themselves applying their learning directly a little bit later in the show. And then also we'll talk today with Cyrus Sleeper, who's in his 20s and is already emerging as an important voice in the lobster industry in Maine. And he'll join us in a few minutes um, on the line from South Thomaston. So let's jump right in and meet Christina. Christina, so you um, are from Deer Isle. Tell us a little bit about sort of your your story. Sure. Um, so I grew up on Deer Isle Stonington. I went to Deer Isle Stonington High School, graduated from that fabulous school in 2005. Um, then I went on to Thomas College in Waterville where I studied communications. And then I came back to the island Um, ended up at Penobscot East Resource Center working with the Skippers program. 
Uh, my family is kind of completely centered around the fishing industry. My dad is a, a lobster dealer. He owns Fifield Lobster Company. My fiance is a lobsterman. And my mom manages cold water seafood in Stonington, which uh, has a seafood market and also buy and sell crab meat and things like that. So my entire family and uh, young adult life is centered around all sorts of uh, commercial fishing aspects. Great. Great. And um, how did it... Um how did it come about that you ended up working in this field as well? Tell us a little bit about how you ended up at Penobscot East and then a little bit about what Penobscot East Resource Center does. Sure, sure. Um, so I have a full interest in the commercial fishing industry and my community and kind of everything that goes on. So um, getting started with Perk was uh, kind of a, a no-brainer in a way for me. I wanted to be helpful in my community and learn a little bit more of the behind-the-scenes aspects of the fishing industry, rulemaking, and kind of how everything works. Um, so I came to Penobscot East to help with the Eastern Maine Skippers program. And so Penobscot East houses EMSP, but Penobscot East itself is a, a nonprofit uh, organization based out of Stonington, Maine. Uh, we have some really amazing uh, offices that are right over the water, um, right down in the in Stonington. Um, so you're in right there in the heart of yes, right on the harbor. The so I look out my window, lobster harbor. Exactly, yeah. I look out my window and I can see all of the hardworking lobster boats going in and out every day and bringing in all the lobsters that make us the top port, um, which is very exciting and it's a great view. I wouldn't <laughs> change that for the world. Um, we really help to secure a diversified fishing future for the communities of Eastern Maine and beyond. Um, we do this by developing and implementing innovative programs that provide value for today's fishermen and drive more sustainable management approaches for future fisheries, which includes we've done a lot of work with the Scallop co-management. So we have meetings at PERC with DMR leadership and local fishermen and um people at the Penobscot East office, and they all work together to come up with how the scallop zone areas are going to go each year and which ones will be fished, which ones won't be fished, um, and they all come together to help make that work. Um, and the big essential component of our work at Penobscot East is connecting the knowledge of fishermen and findings of scientists and the world of policymakers. So it's really, we really work and strive to bring all of those people to the table together um, and we find that that's going to help to make the most effective co-management of everybody working together with everyone's knowledge um, and everyone listening to each other. So that's kind of a little bit about what Penobscot East does. Great. And so you're really right there in the middle, not just of the harbor, but um, you both, it sounds like, in your family life um, and also in your work life, in the middle of sort of this transition in the fishing industry that um, maybe 40 years ago, a fisher, someone who fished for a living, um, had incredible knowledge about where to find the fish, where to find the lobsters. Today, fishermen really um, need to understand the complexities of management and marketing and so many different avenues. And it sounds like your work's right in the middle of that. Right, exactly. We we really work to try to bring bring it all together instead of just you know I'm a I'm a fisherman. I go out and catch lobsters, and that's, you know, that's all it is. That's all I do. Really trying to bring it full circle and understand that they're a part of a bigger chain and how if everyone works together, then the chain can go a lot more smoothly and be more beneficial to everybody. Great, great. Um, we'll, co we'll come back to Christina in just a few minutes. Um, uh, but first, we want to hear from Cyrus Sleeper, who is on the phone. And when we come back, we'll learn all about the Skippers program to help train the next generation of fishermen and others involved in marine work. Um, Cyrus himself is a fisherman, a young fisherman um, out of South Thomaston. And Cyrus, welcome to the program. 
Thank you. Thanks for having me. Great, great. It's great to have you on. Um, so, Cyrus, you fish out of um, South Thomaston, and our program today, as you know, is sort of focused on um, the next generation of leaders in the fishing industry. And um, the little bit that I know of the kind of work that you've already done, and you're maybe in your late 20s, if I'm not mistaken, um, you're already right, you've jumped right in two feet fully into all aspects of the industry in addition to physically having to catch the lobsters. So tell us a little bit about your fishing story. Well, I started out fishing with my dad um, on his boat when I was about nine years old, just helping out when I could. And just for as long as I could stay awake at that age, it's, it's tough to put a full day in work on a boat. But um, I went with him a couple of summers and then I bought myself a small boat that I could hand haul my gear out of. And then just kept working my, my way up. Uh, bigger boats, more traps, and um, eventually by about high school, I was off on my own completely and kind of jumped off my dad's boat and started doing my own thing. Great. And so you you have your own boat now and have had boats uh, independently of your family for a while now, it sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. I think I was nine or 10 when I bought my first boat. Wow. Great. Great. And what's your boat's name now? What do you have? Um, my boat right now is uh, named Centerfold. Uh-huh. Great. And um, so I I understand that a couple years ago um, you uh, got connected with going with joining a training program for young lobstermen. Um, can you tell us a little bit about that program? Yeah, uh, I kind of got in on it last minute, and I almost missed out on it, but it was run through the MLA. Which is the Maine and, Lobstermen's Association. Yeah, that's right. And um, we spent a couple days in Northport learning about the policy-making side of the lobster industry, which I had no clue whatsoever about. Um, we learned about marketing lobster and also um, conservation measures that we were taking as far as surveying the stock and just general things about that. And then we traveled to Prince Edward Island for four days and did more of the same kind of stuff up there, learned about how they operate, went out on... Uh, two different boats just as they would be fishing and just to see how, how they fish. Neat. And uh, w- was it pretty different in Prince Edward Island than what you experience here? Were there similarities? Yeah, I think from someone looking from the outside, they would say, yeah, they're basically doing the same thing. But to someone that's been fishing for a long time, it was like going into a different world. They uh, still use wooden traps up there, which we haven't used wooden traps for well over 20 years. Uh-huh. And um, they haul from the stern of the boat instead of midship. And there's just a lot of different um, ways of doing things, ways of storing lobsters, ways of keeping lobsters. Um, they have a canner size, so they can keep some really small lobsters. And um, they can also keep the bigger lobsters, too. Interesting. And then since you've you've done that trip, you've kept fishing, um, and then I understand you've also um, become involved in the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I started on the board about two years ago because um, there's three positions for harvesters, and I've got the coast position, and I go to the go to the board meetings, and we've done several events. In July, I traveled to Atlanta, and we did an event called Maine After Midnight, which was with chefs and media. It was kind of like a mixer type event, just educating chefs and media about our story, about our product, and what we have to offer. Great. And how does, so as a comparatively younger guy involved in these kinds of topics in the industry, um, how has being active at this level with marketing and with learning the various different aspects of the industry and going to meetings, how has it, how's it helping your business? Well, I think just any knowledge that you have is good, is good to have. Um, knowing what's going on in the market, you can kind of expect um, maybe not day-to-day what the price is going to be, but longer term you can kind of see uh, the ebb and flow of the market and be a little bit more prepared for what's going to happen with the boat price. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And why why has it been important for you to um, get active in fishing in issues like this? Well, I mean, lobstering is it's my career. It's what I'm going to be doing for a long time. So I want to make sure that things I can do, do as much as I can to keep things headed in the right direction from the way that I see it. And I think marketing lobster is, is really important. It's going to become more and more important um, as we're opening up markets overseas. Um, that you're, this is going to help us also sell lobsters here if the demand demand is up. So um, just generally, I feel as though that it, it's important to be involved to, to have a say in what's going on. Mm-hmm. Do you find that among sort of your your generation of lobstermen are um, are you are are there m- several of you, many of you who are getting involved in this level and sort of paying attention to bigger issues? Well, from this leadership program we did, we um, actually ended up with three young board members on the MLA board. Great. Um, then we have one woman from Stonington that is on the Lobster Advisory Council that was involved with that leadership program. So there's people have definitely grasped the uh, concept of being involved. And I think that from people from the outside are a little bit intimidated that haven't been going to meetings. But when you get in there and you start being involved with the people and you get to know the people and how things work, it, it's not intimidating at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, how do the seasoned lobstermen, the guys who've been at it for a long time, how is it for them? How do they react to some of you younger energy folks coming in and getting involved? Well, the older guys that have been in these leadership roles for a while, their their faces just light up when they see a young person that I think any new people that come into the room, they, they're very excited to see it. A lot of them have put in more than their fair share of time, and they are happy to see that someone's willing to step up and start taking control a little bit. That's great. That's really great. Sort of the the gradual changing of the guard a little bit. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, what what does winter look like for you? What do you what's coming up over the cold months for you? Well, I'll still fish. I'll fish offshore, but the the weather won't be good enough to fish too often. So maybe one day a week. Sometimes you won't get out for a week or two. But um, I'll be mostly uh, trying to fish, and when I'm not fishing, I'll you know, go snowmobiling and do stuff like that. There's plenty to, that goes on in the industry. There's a Boston Seafood Show. Uh, the Fisherman's Forum. There's lots of different events that we can stay involved in. And what would you say to um, other fishermen who are maybe just sort of interested in kind of getting involved and engaged? Um, what would you say to them to to sort of encourage them or about about what they might expect if if they wanted to get more involved? I would say just show up. Uh, uh-huh. Every every license holder in the state gets an email about. Almost all the meetings that go on, they're all open. You can walk in, listen to what's going on, comment if you want, but you don't have to. But uh, it's uh, you just need to get there and and listen and and uh, go from there. Great, just show up. That's such a that's such a great recommendation. Just show up. Well, thanks, Cyrus. Is there anything else that um that you want to say? I think that wraps it up. Great. Eat lobster. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Great talking to you, and uh, best of luck as you continue doing the work you do. Thank you. Have a good day. Great. So that was Cyrus Sleeper. Thanks, Cyrus. Um, He is a young fisherman from South Thomaston who is also a young board member on the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative. Um, If you're just tuning in, you're listening to WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. You're listening to Coastal Conversations, and our topic this morning, we're um, talking with folks about what it means to be a young fisherman 
fishermen or um, how to learn to be a, the, what are the skills necessary to being a good fisherman as folks um, kind of enter into the industry. And um, it was great talking with Cyrus, a fisherman who is actively engaged in the industry catching lobsters, but also so many different aspects of the industry as a young fisherman. And then in the studio with us today, we have Christina Fifield. I did say that right, right? Yes. Okay, great. Yep. Um, who is with Penobscot East Resource Center, and she's the coordinator of the Eastern Maine Skippers Program, um, which does just that, helps young um, high school students sort of become engaged in all kinds of different aspects of what it means to be um, engaged on, on the water. So, Christina, tell us a little bit about the Skippers Program. Sure. Um, so the Eastern Maine Skippers Program is a regionalized program that provides aspiring commercial fishermen in coastal high schools the skills needed to be successful in a time of rapid environmental and regulatory change. Um, we have m close to 80 students um, from eight different high schools, and the high schools include Vinyl Haven, North Haven, Dural Stonington, Ellsworth, Mount Desert Island, Naraguegas, and Jonesport Beals High Schools, along with George Stevens Academy in Blue Hill. Um, they work on mastering core subjects in the classroom and interact with fishermen, scientists, fisheries organizations, marine businesses, regulators through project-based learning. Um, so project-based learning, it, the easiest way to kind of describe it, um, if you're not quite sure, is is the kids kind of do a lot more hands-on activities. They, they learn and process and um, they show that the teachers that they know things. Um, so instead of sometimes doing, you know, a straight test with like 80 questions or something like that, the students can choose different ways to show and prove to the teachers that they know what they're doing and what they're talking about, that they've really retained the information. Um, so a student that's asked a bunch of questions about how to build a trap, for instance, so instead of writing it all down, they could make a video of them building the trap and then bring that in and show it to the teacher and then get graded on that. So it kind of um, gives the students a lot more hands-on opportunities and different ways of e expressing how they know things, um, which I think personally, for me, that w I would have probably done a little bit better in high school <laughs> if I could, if I could kind of show what I what I know and, instead of trying to e express it just through uh, different questions. Um, so the skippers also participate in what we call cohort days, um, which that's just kind of our name for a big event where all eight of the high schools come together. Um, so the different cohort days center around different things we do throughout the year, along with um, trying to attend like Department of Marine Resources hearings or informational meetings, zone council meetings. Um, they attend the Maine Fishermen's Forum every year. Uh, we just try to get them out into the community. So that's a, a little bit of background on EMSP. The, these kids are really fully engaged in really active hands-on learning. It's it's pretty neat sounding. Um, before we came on the air, you were just telling me about going out with a bunch of students to um, help uh, an oyster farm. Tell us a little bit about that. You just went out a couple days right, ago. Right. Yeah. So um, so last week I joined the George Stevens Academy Skippers. Um, we went to visit Little Island Oyster on the Bagadoos. Uh, so they, we met up with Tanya and Frank, who are the, the owners and operators, uh, who are absolutely wonderful and were great with the kids. Uh, we loaded the kids up into a, a couple of small boats and, and went out to their oyster farm, and they explained the ins and outs of kind of how aquaculture and farming oysters works, um, which the kids are really interested in because um, a lot of them come from commercial fishing families and kind of haven't really thought about aquaculture and kind of if that impacts them, you know, is it something that they'd be interested in? Um, so we went out, and the kids got to do a bunch of different things. Um, they let them grade the oysters and kind of wash them up. And they, uh, we even had a couple of students um, taste a, a couple Great. raw oysters. Um, so that yeah. was really fun. We, we kind of had a dare going um, to kind of get the, get the kids to uh, get a little bit out of their comfort zones and and give it a try. Uh, so we, it was a great experience. And the, the kids at the, we were there for a couple hours and we were, we're like, okay, you know, we've got to, 
we've got to get you back back yeah. to class you know <laughs> and the and the kids were like well there's there's a lot of oysters that still need to be you know cleaned and and bagged up and and we were like no like <laughs> we got to get you guys back <laughs> to class um so they had a really great time kind of getting out and learning learning new things which is kind of what we're aiming for that's great that's great and at the so so my understanding is that they um each school answers a fundamental sort of question mm-hmm. um and then at the end of the year they do a big presentation exactly of, in terms of how they've answered that question um yep. And I had the opportunity to attend that presentation in Ellsworth last May. It was incredibly inspirational to hear all these students tell their story about their year of learning. Um, and then we're going to hear a couple clips from that event to hear both from the MC, um, uh, sort of introducing uh, the evening with a personal story of his. And I'll introduce him to the listeners in a second. Um, but Christina, can you just tell us in a nutshell what that evening is about and what the question was that they were looking to answer last year? Sure, sure. So um, at the end of every year, we have final presentations, which is uh, what you're going to hear some clips from. So the projects that the students uh, present at the end of the year, they work on throughout the entire year. It's our year-long project that all eight high schools uh, work on answering um, one main question. Um, The question that they worked on last year was, what impact could I or we have on lobster and or the lobster industry? So as you can see, it's a a kind of a massive question. There's, the kids could really go uh, multitudes of directions with things. Um, it kind of went back and forth. They could do, you know, why aren't lobster traps more efficient? Why why are lobster traps made out of wire? Why why did they decide to do that? Asking questions like, why does the price of lobster change? So then that got them learning about kind of the market chain and how everything works from the lobsters coming out of the water all the way to, you know, your plate at a restaurant or, or getting a lobster out of the tank at a store. Um, why is lobster so expensive in restaurants compared to the boat price? Um, a lot of the young skippers, that's a, that's an incredibly valid question. Um, to you know, the price for a lobster at the boat is you know two twenty five a pound, we'll say, and then in restaurants, you know, people buy them for thirty forty dollars. So that takes a lot for them to under understand mm-hmm. that the difference and how it get that price gets up there. Um, so yeah, so that's just a few examples, but really they kind of explore the entire lobster industry and how it works. Great, great. And um, that's a, an excellent question about the boat price versus exactly. the market price for anyone. That's, yes, yeah, they, that yeah. was the, we had that question a lot. So I we, we did a lot with marketing and, and learning about how it all works. Great. You could probably have Cyrus Sleeper, who we heard about, come be a guest speaker and explain it to exactly, us. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, so uh, we're going to start with a clip here in a second, um, which uh, is a clip of the person who was uh, emceeing the particu- this particular celebration last May. Um, the MC was um, Dennis Damon, who is a former senator uh, here in Maine. Many of you are probably familiar with him because he was from our area here in the <coughs> WERU listenership region. Um, and uh, Dennis also is currently the chair of the Penobscot East Resource Center Board um, and is pretty active um, on fishing issues and is something of a mentor for a lot of um, youth, I think, in on the coast of Maine and in many different avenues and especially fishing. So Dennis shared um, a great story at the beginning of the night that I think was a good inspiration for the students and, and felt like worth sharing. So let's go ahead and hear that clip of Dennis Damon on the, op- on the celebratory night of the Skippers program last May in Ellsworth. As I look around the audience and I see the students' faces, um, it brings me back to what I thought was a long time ago, but maybe it really wasn't, and that's the classroom situation. Uh, I'm thinking when I was in that situation, it was the fall, I think, of my senior year in high school, and I was out hauling with Dad, and out of the blue, he said to me, so what are you going to do next year? I thought that was kind of a numb question, so I shot back at him pretty quickly. I'm going fishing. What do you think? He didn't say anything, but oftentimes he didn't. Then about 10 minutes later, like it had been only 10 seconds, he said, did you ever think about school? 
said, you mean college? He says, yeah. He says, I know you can be a fisherman. Your brothers are all fishermen, and you're every bit as good on a boat as they ever were. But then he paused, and I liken it now, I didn't then, but I liken it now to a fisherman who's casting out a bait for a fish to rise to. He paused and he said, but I think you can do more. Didn't say what, just said more. And he said, he thought that I might rise to the bait, I think, because he knew me pretty well. And he said, you know, if it doesn't work out, he was talking about college, you can always come back and go fishing. Put that little safety net under me so I might try it. He didn't know then, he couldn't have even imagined that I just couldn't, I might not be able to come back and go fishing. There are a lot of, well, there are a lot of barriers in the way to just coming back and going fishing now. Not that he ever understood of his father before him or his grandfather either, for that matter, but it's the world that you, you students are growing up in. And so, I would hope that you get two lessons out of that little tale. One is that you can do more. Now more might be in fishing. You can do more. Or more might be in something more. You fill in the blanks. So that was uh, former state senator Dennis Damon um, introducing a story at the opening ceremonies of a celebration of the Eastern Maine Skippers program last May at the Ellsworth High School. And I have in the studio with me Christina Fifield, who's one of the coordinators of the Eastern Maine Skippers program working out of Penobscot East Resource Center in Stonington. Um, I'd Christina, I love that story that Dennis shares about his dad um, and his dad's sort of um, plugging some ideas for what, he, how he might um, think about his future and what fishing means to him. And I, I love this concept that, you know, his dad was saying, you can do more, and that might be in fishing, which I think is really connected to what you guys do at the Skippers. Um, and he also sort of talked about barriers in the fishing industry. Can you can you talk a little bit about what you guys view that it really what are the skills necessary for um, these young folks that you're working with if they want to get into fishing in the future? Sure. Um, so probably one example to, to start things off would be last year um, in the winter, probably about January, um, we had a few kids go to the state house in Augusta um, and they testified and gave their opinions and thoughts on the student licensing bill that uh, went through the Senate last year. Um, so it was about changing the student licensing age from 18 to 23. So I think that really plays into Dennis's story a lot with, with being able to do more um, because the students that went and testified talked about not having en enough time in doing things in high school and wanting to skip days and not go to school so they could get enough hours to get there regular commercial fishing license. So I think this really, th what we did in going to Augusta really spoke to letting these kids be kids a little longer and, and giving them more room to be able to do more and learn more and kind of be, ab be able to go to school or start fishing early or just kind of more options available to our young people, which is exactly what they need, you know, instead of trying to decide something when you're 15, it kind of gives you a few more years to kind of figure out exactly what you want to do. And that was a barrier for them. It was it was back and forth. It was, do I go to school and give 110% or do I go out to haul and, you know, make money and get my hours in so I can get my commercial license? So in, in having that age move from 18 to, to 23 for the students, that, that got rid of a barrier essentially and, and made things a little bit smoother for kids to really follow in their, in their education. So that would be one, I think one really good example. That's a really great example. And, um, what an unbelievable experience for these young people to be able to have a voice in the public process. That's going to completely impact 
mm-hmm. not just their future, but how they work towards their future today. Exactly. And, and the students learn so much about the process and how everything works. And um, they met with the Marine Resource Committee and, and really learned you know, how it all works. It's a, it's a lot to take in, even for us adults, you know, the steps that uh, these bills and all have to go through to really get signed into law and kind of how, how that all happens. And they had a great mentor and um, Senator Brian Langley, who took some time out to um, talk virtually with the students and kind of tell them how it works, you know, write down what you want to say, you know, have copies for the committee when you're presenting, you know, stand up tall and, and be confident. Um, so we had, we had a lot of really great help and, and the students really learned a lot. I think it, it kind of changed their, their way of thinking, knowing that what they were saying was having an impact on something that, you know, a law, something that was tangible and it was going to make a difference. So it was, it was really neat to see them stand up there and, and say, say what they thought, their opinions, which really matter. And, and the committee made them feel that way, which was really nice. That's great. And um, speaking of people having an opportunity to say what they think, um, this feels like a great time to open up the phone lines if anyone wants to call in and join our com- conversation here about um, what about the next generation of leaders in the fishing industry. Maybe you are one of them yourself. Maybe you're a fisherman and you've gotten engaged in the process and you have your own stories to share. Or maybe you're a young person who has questions. Um, Or maybe you're a family member. We'd love to hear your stories. So if you have something to share or you have a question for Christina about the Skippers program, um, feel free to call in. Our number is 1-866-625-9378. That's 1-866-625-WERU. We have another clip that we wanted to share with you. um, And I'm going to let Christina introduce a little bit about um, the project that the students, um, in particular, under the leadership of one one student, um, but many of them, I think, were involved in North Haven, in their in their learning project last year, um, Christina, tell us a little bit about what the North Haven students did to answer this question about how can we be involved in the lobster industry or sure. impact it. Sure, this is uh, this is one of the super fun stories that I love to tell. Um, so North Haven uh, Skippers program, uh, when they looked at the question of how they could impact the lobster industry, one student in particular, his name is Grayson, came up with this really innovative. Um, invention is it's the coolest thing ever so I'm going to explain it to you a little bit um, he created what is called the scrub hauler so it's a it's a round plastic plate that attaches to a pot hauler on a lobster boat um, which I'm guess I think everybody probably knows what that is it hauls the lobster traps that's what the pulls the rope up and hauls the lobster traps so it attaches to the front of that and it has um, hundreds of these little bristles kind of like you would find at the bottom of a broom, but a little bit shorter. He attached them all to this plate, which then attached to the front of the pot hauler. So when the pot hauler was on, you could hold your buoy up to it and clean your buoy off, which I thought was just mind-blowingly smart um, for the kid to come up with. It was just crazy, and he was so inventive and, and had such a fun time with it. He really looked at it from all different aspects, and the teachers at North Haven uh, Community School, uh, his skipper's teacher, Dave McKechnie, and a few of the other teachers really got behind him um, and helped him find the resources to really take his project to the next level. He even looked into um, how to get a patent, um, if patenting the invention was possible, and they kind of went through and learned about all the different steps, um, eventually learning that it was a crazy process um, and they and he might not need to take it quite that far. Um, they looked into different manufacturing avenues and kind of what pieces would cost and um, how everything would come together. So he they really went outside, um, up, you know, above and beyond and outside um, a norm and really gave him the platform to just kind of run with his idea, which was, it was just so much fun to watch. Um, and the way he built the scrub hauler is uh, North Haven has a, a 3D printer. So they actually printed the base for it through the 3D printer. So he had to learn about that process and how that worked. And then he he 
put in every single one of the little scrubbies from a broom. He inserted them into this disc. Um, and it was it's just a really, really cool, neat story. And it shows, you know, just how creative our skippers kids can be, you know, when they're given the right platform and um, given the confidence and people believing in their ideas and what they can do. And um, I'm excited for you guys to hear him present it. It's a uh, He's a really great kid. That's great. Thanks for that for that background. And so for folks who maybe haven't spent a lot of time on the water, sometimes the buoys, the lobster buoys right. out there will foul, right? So seaweed or yep. barnacles will seaweed attach themselves or algae and a little bit of anything. And then the buoys become heavy and dirty and harder to handle. So this was a really practical practical application. So let's go ahead and hear Grayson tell his story directly for a couple minutes. So the question I came up with was is there a more effective, safe, usable, cost-effective, environmentally friendly way to clean lobster buoys than it's currently used today? Um, this is a project that one of my um, classmates and I, in my high school did. This is pure bleach with a uh, just a lobster shell in there, and in 24 hours, this is what happened to it. Um, it just totally uh, disappeared, almost. Um, but the problem with the bleach going into the ocean is a problem, but there's a bigger problem with bleach on the boat with how it um, reacts with natural um, materials on the boat. Um, it mixes it up, and um, carcinogen is the word, and it can be caused, uh, cancer-causing. So this, is, this will help eliminate using some bleach on the boat. We use SketchUp at our school to use uh, the 3D printer, um, which we made um, half moons of just the base of the scrub hauler. This took 34 hours to make both um, sides of it. We uh, made these for taking them to the fisheries farm. Um, here we are, and uh, as you can see, the scrub hauler on the table. It's the only thing I really had to go on with uh, explaining it to everyone. Everyone that came up to my um, to the table that's talked to me about it. I didn't hear any bad things about it and liked it. So I ended up trying to make my own, which I did. Um, and I poured a two-part epoxy base at the top of my ship and drilled all the holes in it and pulled out bristles out of scrub brushes and epoxied them back in. <laughs> a lot of people thought I was crazy for doing that. But I was very committed at that point, so I went ahead and did it. <laughs> and uh, it took me nine hours to put these bristles in. And that was a good third of the way through it. And um, here it is completed. All I had at the time to use was a 10 inch hauler, that's all I had. Um, so I just went with that. All these um, pictures that I've shown you have been sent to a um, manufacturer in China, and he, um, we've been talking for a couple months uh, and to see if, if we can work something out and um, maybe possible selling this in the future, uh, in the near, near future, hopefully. Uh, we have, um, well, we're gonna try to make a uh, sales call sometime once we find out more information. Um, and this is a prototype I just got this morning, and I was very excited to come from China, and I'm getting it mailed to me. Here's uh, a couple of them, um, and hopefully I'll get them in a couple weeks, and then when he comes in a couple weeks for his son's graduation um, at my school, and that's how I found out about him, he... Um, we're going to talk about what we're really going to do with it and what's going to happen. Um, this next video is me actually trying to scrub all that um, on my boat. And personally, I thought this worked really great. Uh, I had this buoy out there, this hole in it, and I just stuck it on the mooring, hoping to try this. And it worked great. So that was um, Grayson from North Haven um, School, 
uh, that who was presenting his story um, about his project with the Eastern Maine Skippers Program and the scrub hauler that he invented to clean off the biofouling that happens on lobster buoys out on the water. And at the end, um, you heard everybody say, whoa, that's great. They were they were watching a video that he had shown of physically um, holding a pretty messy seaweed-covered buoy up against the brushes and the bristles of the scrub hauler as the scrub hauler was spinning um, and literally just cleaning off the seaweed and emerging as a perfectly clean, nice buoy. So pretty innovative stuff. Exactly. Yes, we were we were super proud, super proud from uh, everyone at, that works for EMSP was um, standing up and cheering and clapping right along with everybody else. So it was uh, it was really awesome to see. Yeah, that, that, I, I was glad to have that opportunity. Um, so if you're just tuning in, you're listening to WERU 89.9 in Blue Hill and 99.9 in Bangor and streaming online at WERU.org. And this is the Coastal Conversations program, and we're talking about the next generation of leaders in the fishing industry. Um, and I have in the studio with me Christina Fifield, um, who is with Penobscot East Resource Center and um, the coordinator of the Eastern Maine Skippers program. Um, so, Christina, the program's been going on for a few years, and each year you have um, a different topic. Um, yep. and Actually, before we go into that, I just wanted to let folks know that the phone lines are open if you feel like calling in and sharing a story of your own or have a question for Christina about the program. Uh, you can call in at 1-866-625-9378 or 1-866-625-WERU. Um, so, Christina, last year's question was about um, how to impact the lobster industry. What were some of the other questions that um, high school groups came up with? Yeah, so during the year last year, so as we as we just heard, North Haven worked on an invention for the scrub hauler. Um, the Vinyl Haven students worked on creating a softer landing for lobsters. So on the top of a lobster box, which is usually um, in the middle, right behind the cabin of a lobster boat, there's a lobster box. So when they take the lobsters out of the traps, they kind of toss them nicely over onto the top of the lobster box to measure them and and ban them and and so on and so forth. So Vinyl Haven um, padded the top of a of a lobster box with this really neat, almost like a a foam, so that when the lobsters were being moved from the trap into the top of the lobster box, it would be a softer landing. So it would be a little bit easier on the lobsters. You know, they kind of go through a lot <laughs> coming out of the ocean and onto boats and then into crates. So the Vinyl Haven kids really looked at, you know, lobster quality and, and trying to figure out how to how to be a little bit easier on the lobsters, which was a really cool thing for, for the kids to come up with, I thought. Um, and and ultimately, that could be an innovation that might help the industry because exactly. there's some small percentage of lobsters that maybe are damaged um, through that that transition period of moving to the box. So this would protect mm -hmm. them and save lobster yeah. and money and save more of the resource. So yeah, so it, it was a really neat thing for the for the kids to come at come at it from that angle. You know, really looking at the the process as a whole and starting with the boat and and moving forward. But so they built um, a big lobster tank and and uh, had a big prototype and. It was it was just really really neat to see them follow it all the way through. Um, a couple of the other schools, Dear Al Stonington High School, looked at um, like the environmental aspects of lobster traps, kind of deciding when did the shift to wire traps happen? You know why did that happen? Um, why did they all look exactly the same, you know, except for colors? So they looked at does color really matter in wire lobster traps? Um, and then their essential main question was, you know, is it time to have wooden lobster traps again? Is it time to kind of veer off of wire traps? So they actually learned and built 10 um, old school wooden lobster traps, which was super, super fun. Um, if you came to the uh, Fisherman's Day on the Stonington Fish Pier, you saw them. I had a few with me. Um, they're massive. They're heavy. I had to carry them <laughs> around in my car. Um, they barely fit, but we got we made it work. So the kids learned kind of con the construction of wooden lobster traps and all of the different pieces that come into play 
with wooden lobster traps and then did kind of a comparison. So that's another project that ended up um, at final presentations in May. And was um, part of the premise of the question of is it time to go back to wooden lobster traps to address the topic of traps that that end up becoming ghost gear? Kind of. They they learned a little bit about it. It was mostly their curiosity Great. into into where lobstering started and kind of where it is now and learning why. You know, the biggest question that they kept saying was why. You know, why are why are we using wire lobster traps? Is it are they that much better or was it just somebody decided <laughs> that we should do wire instead of wood? Um, so they kind of looked at the aspect just through curiosity and just really wondering why things are the way they are. That's great. So do you have a sense, uh, the program is in its third, fourth year, or something <coughs> like that? Um, fourth. Fourth year. Do you have a, a sense or a prediction, um, the students who have gone through the program at any of these eight high schools in the region, do you think that they're going to end up in the fishing industry or maybe in other industries, whether it's maybe, but seems like marine related, mm-hmm. but it seems like the skills that they're getting are going to be fantastic for fishing, but also for a whole number of other kinds of careers there, or even prepare them for college. Exactly. That's it. what you uh, just stated is, is really exactly what we're going for. Um, the The program is, is amazing in preparing students who want to go on the water or go on to college or be involved in all different facets of marine careers, you know, um, a warden, you know, they could be a marine warden, they could be a marine scientist, a marine biologist, uh, you know, um, we had one student last year from George Stevens Academy who graduated, um, lovely girl by the name of Maddie, she went on to college and is going into teaching, and I have a feeling she's going to be a really amazing marine science teacher. Um, so it, we we try to encourage, you know, whatever the kids are interested in, that's kind of where, where we want to help them and help build their confidence and, and really get them interested in what they like to do and learning different avenues for things. So we're, we're behind them 110%, um, whichever direction they want to go. That's great. And for those who um, might end up in the fishing industry, sort of recognizing that the fishing industry is fishermen, and it's also boat builders and trap builders and marine resource managers and um, marine patrol, um, Why do you think? How how will this program impact the industry? What do you think? What what do you? What are your hopes for like ten years down the line? Here's what the industry is going to look like because there's, at that point, ten years down the line, conceivably multiple hundreds of kids who have gone through the program and who are now in the workforce. Right. That's a. I have lots of hopes for that. Um, I'm just. I think one of my main, you know, realistic hopes is that they're just involved, um, speaking up, giving their opinions, going to zone council meetings, um, being confident enough to talk with marine scientists and regulators and legislative representatives and really giving their opinions and what they think and what they've learned and, and what they know. Their their local knowledge in itself is um, is amazing to, when you actually get them to, to open up and, and talk about what they know just themselves. Um, so I think that would probably be my biggest hope is is that our communities are infused with these amazing young people that, that just speak up and help their communities and become involved. And um, just like um, Cyrus, you know, getting involved and being on different boards and going to meetings, like he was saying, you know, show up and and be that voice and, you know, be that person that, that really stands up for everybody. So I think that's what I'm super hopeful for. And I know it's already happening. So, so that makes me super happy. And I think a few other things is, is just kind of having these young people really understand as well, kind of how things work. Um, you know, it can be super overwhelming. When I I went with them to Augusta last year, and and I learned a a bunch of things. So I think having kids that can understand things a little more and kind of know the interworkings of of how everything comes about, it kind of gives them more confidence to actually be the ones that speak up. So I think those are are a few things. I could kind of 
go on for an hour about <laughs> how awesome the kids are and what I hope for them. So, but those are kind of a couple of the main things. That's great. And um, if you're just tuning in, Christina mentioned Cyrus. So we had Cyrus Sleeper on the show a little bit earlier today. Um, and he is a young fisherman out of South Thomaston who um, who has become really engaged um, in especially sort of the marketing dimensions of lobster um, by joining the board of the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative. Um, and Cyrus said, said that his hope for the next generation is just show up. I think exactly. that's his, his quote, just show up. And that seems to be really echoing what you're saying. If if we can, if your program can help kids sort of gain the confidence to mm-hmm. show up. Um, exactly. Yeah. Um, so tell us a little bit about um, what the project is this year, what the what some of the central questions are going to be this year for um, the 2016-2017 Eastern Maine Skippers sort of school year. Sure. So for this year, um, like we were just mentioning, each each year of the Skippers program, we, we tackle a different um, main question. Um, so last year was the lobster industry. Uh, the year before that was invasive green crabs. Um, this year, which the kids will be getting this question and learning it this coming Monday. Uh-oh. <laughs> so we're preempting. <laughs> so we're preempting. Um, they know a little bit about it So because the school year is just getting going. Um, but the the main question that they're going to be focusing on this year and trying to you know create a project around would be how do we maintain sustainable ocean food systems? So it's gonna we're gonna have to unpack that um, for uh-huh. the kids. We try to keep it into a one sentence thing um, just so they can really dig into it and go different directions. So like we were talking about with the lobster project, they kind of went all over the place and whatever they were interested in. So this is kind of going to be um, the same idea this year, but looking into sustainable ocean food systems. Um, they're going to learn about ocean food systems, trophic levels, uh, ecological interactions as a whole, kind of how everything works and the different levels that everything combines into what does what, you know, the Big fish, big fish eats the little fish, uh-huh. and you know phytoplanktons and all the science that goes into uh, the marine industry. Uh, they're going to explore how humans interact in ocean with the ocean ecology, kind of how their communities and the ocean are, you know, brought together. You know, what makes it all work? What makes the communities on the water work with the ocean food systems, and how is that all sustainable? Um, they're going to explore past and c- current issues around sustainable food systems in their communities. So really looking at how, how it all works. Why is it the way it is and, and what's going on in your communities? Um, so their, their projects can range kind of, you know, whatever their minds can come up with with this question, which is always the most exciting thing, is, is really seeing what the kids um, kind of latch on to and what gets their curiosity going and what gets them asking questions. So on Monday will be our first big cohort day on the 26th, and they'll be meeting up at Scudic, the Scudic Institute. Great. Um, and they'll be ask, learning this question and exploring wild harvest and aquaculture and kelp and seaweed and doing lots of different fun things. So we're super excited. Yeah, so it sounds like um, if anyone is interested in learning more about the Eastern Maine Skippers, um, there's there's lots of great things going on. Can you share a website, how people could learn more? Sure, you can um, find us at penobscoteast.org, and you can also find us at the Eastern Maine Skippers Facebook page. Great. And hopefully in the near future, in like the next year, we'll have a full-on website, but we're, we're getting there. We're One only, day at a time. We're only a few years old. So. That's great. Um, and also um, pay attention to uh, announcements in the spring for listeners who are really um, sort of engaged in this topic because they'll probably have another big public presentation of um, their findings. Um, yes. Yeah, you can the see year. the kids at the Maine Fishermen's Forum. Great. And, and also look for information. Our final presentations are usually the end of May. So 
and everybody is more than welcome to come and see what the kids have been up to. Super. Thank you, Christina. Um, Amazingly, we've come to the end of our Coastal Conversation today. Time always flies. Um, And today we were talking about the next generation of Maine's fishing industry leaders. Um, So this concludes our three-part series about youth on the Maine coast. And you can get all kinds of info about the series and our guests and links to the WERU podcasts of these three shows at www.seagrant.umaine.edu slash Coastal Conversations. Um, I'd like to thank Christina Fifield from Penobscot East Resource Center and the Eastern Maine Skippers Program for coming into the studio today. Thanks, Christina. Um, and also wanted to thank your student presenters, particularly Grayson from Vinyl Haven, who shared his story via a clip, and also um, Dennis Damon, who shared a story via a clip as well. And then finally, thanks, of course, to Cyrus Sleeper, our young lobsterman from South Thomaston and member of the board of directors of the Maine Lobster Marketing Collaborative. Thanks for all you listeners out there. Coastal Conversations is produced with support from the Maine Sea Grant Program at the University of Maine, bringing marine science to Maine people. Join us from 10 to 11 a.m. on the fourth Friday of each month. Our show's theme music, A Following Sea, was composed and performed by Paul Anderson. Thanks to Amy Brown for engineering our program. And stay tuned for On the Wing with Joel Raymond. This is Natalie Springle from Maine Sea Grant, host of Coastal Conversations, wishing you a good morning.